All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. If you're at one of our campuses or if you're online, we're so grateful to have you with us today. Uh, before I dive in, I want to celebrate what God did at our church this past Easter because it really was historic for us. Uh, In-person attendance was 56,272. Uh, that is the most we've ever had on an Easter service in our church's history. Our online attendance was 48,390. That's devices. So grand total, 104,662 took in our Easter experience. And then, yeah, go ahead. and It is worth celebrating. And then this next one is the number that we say all the time we get really excited about, and we do. Because this is the mission of our church. This is why our church exists, to reach people for Christ. And on Easter, we had 4,217 people make a decision for Christ. This is God doing more than we ever ask or imagine. And if you're one of those 4,000 people, I just want you to know our staff was praying for you this week. We grabbed those stack of cards. Each of us grabbed a handful, and we've been praying for you by name that you would experience God's power and presence and love and grace in your life. And we are praying that your faith would grow and become rooted and established. Not only did we have attendance and decisions, we also had two proposals that happened at our church on Easter. They both said yes. So congratulations on your new life together. We were just doing everything this Easter. I do think it's cool because I think in both of their stories, church was a big part of their relationship. And I, as you build a marriage on a foundation of Christ, it is absolutely the way to go. So congratulations uh, to them. Today, we are beginning a new series called Before You Lose Your Faith. And I'm not assuming that any of us are going to lose our faith, but it's hard to miss the headlines. About 50 years ago, 90% of Americans would have said that they were Christian and these days, in the year 2020, that number had dropped to 64%. Now, I would argue that as you dig into the numbers, Christianity is not in decline. People who call themselves Christians are in decline. Because when you look at indicators of real faith, such as how do you regularly read the Bible? Do you regularly go to church? Do you believe that Christ is the way to salvation? Those numbers are actually increasing which is one of the reasons why we're doing this series, because we want every person to have a faith that is rooted and established. The Bible talks about this in Colossians chapter two. It says, let your roots, so roots of your faith, grow down into him, into Christ, and let your lives be built on him, and then your faith will grow strong. Maybe you're here today and you're going, well, I, do I have a strong faith? I mean, I'm not actually sure if I have a faith that's rooted and established. Or maybe for you, there's just a lot of doubts in your life that you kind of wonder, well, is this real? And did Jesus really come back to life? Here's what Oswald Chambers, an author, says about doubt. He said, doubt isn't always a sign that you're wrong. It could be a sign that you're thinking. In other words, doubt does not disqualify you from faith. Just because you have doubts at, from time to time does not mean that you don't have a faith in Christ or a belief in God. But here's what I would say. Don't live in your doubt. Some people wear doubt like it's a badge, and they talk about deconstructing their faith. The problem is they never get around to constructing or reconstructing their faith. They simply go along with what culture seems to say or what their political group or party seems to believe 
And I think that God wants something so much better for you and for me. When I was growing up as a kid, on my birthday, my mom used to make this thing we called Jason's Salad. And here's the ingredients to Jason's Salad. It's fruit cocktail, mandarin oranges, marshmallows, uh, whipped cream, vanilla pudding, and milk. That's the ingredients of it. And we would have it on Christmas. We would have it for almost all of my birthdays. And you might be wondering, well, why did you call it Jason's Salad? Well, when you're an only child, you get naming rights. <laughs> if you want to name the dish something, you, you can go ahead and do that. So we called it Jason's Salad. Maybe also because I'm an only child, I grew up for years believing that this was a recipe that had been passed down from generation to generation. That only the strands knew about this, and this was kind of our recipe that had been passed down through generation. I believed that until I met my wife. And my wife has two issues with Jason's salad. Her first issue is that she believes that a salad should consist primarily of lettuce. That is a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> this is what's so great about Jason's salad. It's a salad. So when people ask you, are you eating healthy? You're like, I had a salad with dinner. I go, okay, good. My wife thinks that we should have Jason's salad as the dessert. I said, no, 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 no. We have dessert for dessert. And we have salad with our meal. The second thing that she has an issue with Jason's salad is she claims it's not unique to our family. She claims other families have this. They just call it fruit salad, marshmallow salad, something like that. She even said that when she was a kid, she had had Jason's salad at her grandparents' house for Christmas. And she said they had been having it for years before that. That blew my mind. I said, how were you having Jason's salad before Jason was even born? This is like when the Bible says God knew us before the creation of the world. I mean, this is going to be my greatest legacy. You're not going to remember my messages, but you will remember and eat Jason's salad when I'm long gone. It's no wonder my mom told me many times as a kid how special I am. <laughs> now, why am I telling you this? Well, here's why. Because I think a lot of us have a similar mindset when it comes to our faith. That we kind of just grew up believing because, well, our parents believed. And our, our parents told us that we should believe, and that's just what we were used to, that's what was normal, that's what was around us. And if you grew up with parents who raised you to know Christ, I hope you're grateful for that. I say to parents all the time, you got to be intentional to raise your kids to know Christ. But here's what I say to my own kids from time to time. I'll say this, you need to make your faith your own. You need to know Christ for yourself. You need to know the Bible for yourself. You need to know what you believe and why you believe for yourself. Because if you don't, here's what could happen. You could go off to college someday and you could have a professor who has a bit of an anti-God agenda. And they will poke at your faith and they will say, well, you were just indoctrinated. And you were just brainwashed. You wouldn't believe those things if you hadn't been raised in that home. And they'll mock Jesus and they'll mock the Bible as being full of contradictions. And they've got the diploma on the wall. And so you're going to be tempted to go, well, I, I guess they're right. Or, or maybe you're like me and you have friends who maybe a few years ago started to not come to church anymore. And you start hearing them say things about the American church and 
American evangelicals and organized religion and how they were against all those things. And then over time, they started to read what I would call theologically progressive books and blogs. And the next thing you knew, they were going, well, I don't know. I'm not even sure if I believe anymore. None of this is a surprise to God. God predicted it would happen in the Bible. First Timothy chapter four says the spirit clearly says that in later times, latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. When I see a headline of someone who says, well, I used to be a Christian and now I'm not, I'm not shocked by that. I'm saddened by it. But I'm not shocked by it because the Bible says that that is going to happen, which is why we're doing this series. Because our hope and our prayer is that each of us would have a faith that is firmly rooted and established. Today's message is titled, I Feel Like God Let Me Down. I'm 44 years old, which is firmly middle age. In fact, I came across one of those apps recently where you can see what you're going to look like in your 80s. Here was me. It's terrible. It's horrible. I, I'm like, I don't even, I, I'm not going to want to look in the mirror when I'm in my 80s, but, but at least I got good hair, all right? I got good hair, apparently. The app told me I was going to have good hair, so we'll, we'll go with that. Just, just for fun, I did Ryan Leak and John Alexander. <laughs> Their face looks fairly normal, but the hair, big changes with the hair, poor John. Here's some celebrities for you. This is Harry Styles. This is what Harry Styles is going to look like in his 80s. And then here's Tom Brady. That man ages incredibly well. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable how that happens. Now, I'm in my middle age or so, and, and here's what I've discovered as the years have gone by. Over time, the hurts begin to add up. Over time, the grind of life starts to wear you down a little bit, and you have moments in your life where you think, boy, I prayed about that, and I didn't see an answer to my prayer. And I was believing, and I was expecting that this was what was going to happen with my life, and, and this was what God's going to do, and then it, it didn't happen. Here's the four most discouraging words in the English language. Things will never change. My marriage you might think, my marriage is never going to change. I mean, we just fight about the same issues over and over, and I'm just, things are never going to change. My depression, my anxiety, I mean, I, I've tried, I, things are never going to change. Our infertility, we've, we've gone to doctors, we've tried this, we've tried that, things are never going to change. My job, my lack of opportunities, my situation, my circumstances in life, things are never going to change. And when we begin to believe that things are never going to change, that's when discouragement sets in, and that's when we start to feel like God has let us down. So here's what I want to do today. I want to take you through two circumstances that all of us are going to be able to relate to. I think every one of us is going to hear this and go, yeah, I've been there. I can relate to that. And these are the two circumstances, I think, when we feel the most let down by God. Here's the first one. When prayers aren't answered. Psalm 34, verse 4, the author of this psalm says this, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. 
He freed me from all my fears. I know many people, myself included, who could say those words verbatim. We could say, I prayed about this, and then God answered my prayer, and it was incredible to see what God did. And I was dealing with fear, and I prayed, and I have this sense of peace that came over me. But I also know many people, myself included, who could say to you, I prayed about that, and I didn't see an answer to prayer, at least not the one I wanted. I prayed that God would take away my fear, and honestly, I was still afraid. I was still fearful. What about those times when you pray about something, and the prayer isn't answered in the way that you hoped? I got an email from a woman just this week, and it was a mom who wrote in about her adult daughter who was dealing with infertility for five years and has been dealing with it. And it was a hard email to read. There was two miscarriages, three consecutive failed embryo transfers. And I think the hardest is when you watch one of your kids suffer. And so this mom wrote an email to me. She said, my daughter's faith hasn't been broken, but mine has. Part of what hurts is that so many have been praying. She, she goes on to say she's been praying. She's got a small group praying. She's got her sister-in-law and their family. They're praying. She says, I'm stuck on the fact that all these people are praying for my daughter. And time and time again, her miracle hasn't happened. I blame myself for not having eloquent prayers. Did I not say enough? With all these people praying, how can God not answer our prayers? Last week, I didn't write out a prayer card. I have no more prayers to pray. Can you relate to that at all? I mean, maybe you prayed for someone to be healed and they got sicker instead. And you prayed for a spouse or a family member to come to Christ. And they said no to church again. And you prayed for a raise or a promotion and your company downsized instead. What about those times in life when you pray and you don't see the answer that you were hoping for? As I was reading through this woman's email, I couldn't help but think a child is a good thing. I mean, she's praying that her daughter would be able to have a child, and the Bible says that God will withhold no good thing from us. So I thought, why? God, why are you not answering this heartfelt prayer from this mother that her daughter would be able to have a child? I don't think it's because of this woman's lacking eloquence in her prayers. I don't think it's a lack of faith or that anybody necessarily did something wrong. But friends of our family have struggled and did struggle with infertility for 10 years. And if you had asked them in year five, how are you doing? They would have said, horrible. It's a desert. I mean, we were praying and it's like God's not hearing our prayers and we're trying everything and, and nothing seems to work. But 10 years in, they had twins. And now the mom writes a blog to help other couples who are struggling with infertility. And I'll bet that if you were to ask them, they would say, I never want to go through that again, but I also wouldn't take it back because it gave them compassion for other people. It gave them a platform to speak into someone else's life who's struggling with the same issue. And it stretched their faith and caused them to become more dependent upon God. I don't have all of the answers when it comes to why one person's prayer is answered and another person's prayer isn't answered. Sometimes we want answers, 
but I don't know that on this side of heaven we're ever as human beings going to know well, why this prayer was answered and this one wasn't. But here's what we do know. We know that in this life we're going to have trouble. Jesus said this. He, he warned us of this. He said, in this life you'll have trouble. Not maybe, not well, we'll see if you're lucky. No, no, he said, you're going to have trouble. That means that there's going to be something in every person's life that's hard. And there's going to be something in every person's life that they go, I prayed about this, and it just it continues to be hard. It's a result of living in a sinful and fallen world. But here's what we also know. We know. I love these two words. We know that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's what I believe is true about God. I believe that God knows things that I don't know, and God wants the very best for my life. And if those two statements are true, if God knows things that I don't know, and he wants the very best for my life, then I try to be okay with an unanswered prayer. It hurts, it's hard, but I remind myself in the moment, God, you know things that I don't know, and you want the very best for my life. My daughter, Anna, is four years old, and a couple of months ago, she yelled at her 11-year-old brother, and these were her exact words. She said, you're the worst brother ever because you're not giving me everything that I want. <laughs> I mean, kids just come out and say it. But I've thought to myself, how many times have I had a similar attitude with God? God, you're not giving me what I want. But what if what I want is not what I need what if what I want is not what's best for me? I mean, what's, what's God supposed to do in that situation? Is God supposed to give me what I want even though he knows it's not what I need? Country singer Garth Brooks attended his high school's homecoming football game when he was in his 50s or so. And while he was there, he saw his old high school girlfriend. And when he got home, he wrote a song called Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. But I'll bet you in high school, he wasn't thanking God for that. I'll bet you in high school, when they broke up, he wasn't thanking God. He was going, God, why aren't you giving me what I want? Sort of like the little boy who was writing a letter to God for a Christmas present that he desperately wanted. And he started out the letter. He said, dear God, I've been good for about six months now. And then he thought about it. And he's like, eh, not really. And he crossed out the six months. And he said, dear God, I've been good for about three months. And then he thought about it, and he's like, eh, still kind of overshooting things. And so he crossed out the three months. He said, God, I've been good for about two weeks. Finally, he couldn't take it anymore. He walked over to his parents' nativity set that was sitting on their mantle. He grabbed the statue of Mary, and he said, God, if you ever want to see your mother alive again... <laughs> I mean, wouldn't we like to be able to get God to do what we want him to do? But the Bible says that there are situations and circumstances where God is not going to answer our prayer. For example, the Bible says if you're not praying in faith, if you're not praying to Jesus or you don't actually believe that God could answer it, it's probably a prayer not going to get answered. If you're praying with impure motives, if you're praying about something but you're willfully living in disobedience, the Bible even says, husbands, if you're not being considerate to your wife, 
that might block God's ability to hear our prayers. I've heard it said that God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, and yes, but not right now. And I believe that that's true. But if I know that God knows things that I don't know, and he wants the best for my life, then I don't get too worried about that. Because I can trust God. Here's the second situation or circumstance that I think a lot of us feel like God's let us down. And it's this, when expectations aren't met. When I was in college, I took a spring break missions trip to New York. And I don't know why I believed this, but I thought I was going to see God do miracles. I just had not seen a lot of things in my life that I would have said were supernatural. And so I was going on this trip and I just believed I was going to see it and it was going to increase my faith. But after a week of being on this missions trip in New York, I didn't see one thing that I could have clearly described as supernatural or miraculous. And so before we left, we gathered as a group and we were sharing about what God had done. And I was sort of nervous to share. But what I said to the group is I said, I was reading through the book of Daniel in the Old Testament this week. And there's these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there's a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue of himself and orders that everybody bow down and worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, no way. Like, we worship God alone. We are not worshiping this statue made in your image. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego look back at him, and this is their words. They say, our God can save us. In other words, our God can do a miracle. He can do the supernatural if he wants. But then they go on and they added these words, but even if. And I remember underlining these two little words, even if. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And I said to the group, I said, I thought I was going to come on this trip and my faith was going to grow because I was going to see supernatural works of God. And I didn't see that. But my faith grew anyway. An even if kind of faith. An even if kind of faith that says, God, if you do miracles in my life, that would be amazing. But God, even if you don't, I love you. Even if I don't see supernatural works of God or feel close to you, God, I trust you. God, even if you don't answer my prayers, even if my expectations aren't met, I will still follow you. Do you have an even if kind of faith? Douglas Gruthaus is a professor of the New Testament at Denver Seminary. He's also the husband of a wife who has dementia. One day, his wife drove to the hair salon, a place she had been hundreds of times before, and she could not remember how to get home. And Gruthaus writes about this. He said, you feel lonely. You feel empty. I've had to recognize that if God were to heal her, God would get the glory. But God also gets the glory. When someone develops faithfulness and character through suffering. He said it's helped him to know that Jesus doesn't just sympathize with his suffering. He empathizes. Because Jesus himself suffered. And when Jesus was suffering on the cross, he prayed a prayer of surrender. He had to relinquish his spirit to God the Father. And Grudhaus says this has helped him so much. He said to pray a prayer of surrender over his marriage and his wife and his dreams for their future. 
He says this, he says, rather than feeling like I'm always beating God with my fists, now I feel more like I'm resting in his arms. My hope today is that you would feel like you are resting in the arms of Jesus Christ. And maybe there's something in your life that hasn't gone how you planned it to go. I mean, you didn't think you'd be job searching at this season of life. You didn't think you'd be in a health battle at your age. You didn't think they were going to break up with you, but, but they did. You didn't think there was going to be an empty seat at Easter dinner this year, but there was. We all live with this gap between what we had planned and what happened. And here's what it says in Proverbs 19. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I love how Pastor Craig Rochelle says this. He says, you don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. I don't know about you, but that frees me. That means that I don't have to know why every specific event took place in my life. I don't have to understand the why to trust God with the what. I don't have to understand the plan to trust that my God has a purpose. I want you to see the story of my friend Marcia. Marcia also leads worship at our church. You've probably been led in a song by her before. And her story is one of having plans and having to learn to trust that God has a purpose. Take a look. Hi, I'm Marcia, and this is my story. I love music. I've been around music my entire life. And growing up in the Caribbean, I was around calypso and steel drums and all kind of great sounds. And my dad actually had a club and me and my brother danced in this club and sang in this club. And it was just a great time because I love to sing and make people happy. And it was just who I was. I was a singer. When we moved to America, um, ironically, Juilliard School of Music was scouting for new talent. And somehow I got on their radar. Uh, they asked my parents about me coming there and joining. My parents said no, they did not want their daughter to move to New York. And I had great resentment with that. I actually rebelled against that. And as I got older, I continued to sing and perform in clubs. And I remember my mom telling me she was praying for me to leave the club scene and be back in church. But I wanted to pursue my plans, my dreams. I wanted God to bless my mess, to bless my plans, and approve of my life. But truthfully, I was not living for him. I was living for me. I eventually did come back to church. Here I am. <laughs> and um, I could feel at the time God really was calling me. And I remember the day that I finally did surrender my life to Jesus. It was not pretty. I was fighting him tooth and nail. Eventually, God won. I'm here. But it's the best decision I ever made. My heart began to change, and I allowed Jesus in. I allowed his word in, and I allowed him to um, give, me, give my life the purpose it was designed to be. I realized the identity that I had as a singer, that's not all he wanted for me. He wanted me to be a worshiper and to lead others into worship and to show others his light. Last year, I was really sick. I was in the hospital for like eight days, and it really felt like a wilderness moment where I was just me and the Lord, and I couldn't sing. Ironically, a singer with no voice, and I was like, God, I want to get back to what I was doing. I want to do it even more and better because my heart was to worship him even in that dire situation. 
As I got healthier and healed, and I realized for the first time in my life that God's goodness and mercy has really been following me all the days of my life, and I plan on my, till my very last breath to sing his praises and to lead others to him, because that's what he called me to do. Amen. 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 Friends, will you stand and sing one last song with us? Praise God. Oh 
and grace and mercy that you gave to me, Lord. My prayer and my hope is that everyone here knows who you are, Lord Jesus, and they come to know your goodness, Lord Jesus. They will taste and see that you are good, you are true, you are merciful, you are a good father. It is a good thing to be in the house of the Lord. And Lord, we just give you glory and praise. And you are no respecter of persons. The same things you did for me, Lord. You will do it for every single one of us and our families. Don't lose hope. Keep praying for your families. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We give you praise, glory, and honor at this time, Lord. We just thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, thank you, Lord. We will have a prayer team down here in the front at all the campuses. Come on now for prayer if you need it. But you are dismissed, and we'll see you next week. Amen.